Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read from the King James Version of the Bible. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The word of the Lord. I'm going to reread those last couple verses in the English Standard Version. Here's what we have. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Look at that word that begins the song they sing, glory. That's what I want to ask about tonight. What is glory and where do we find it? I would say this about our culture. Our definition of glory, if I use that word, is to be influential, successful, wealthy, famous, to be the best at something. And all you have to do is look through our more recent culture and you will find lots of iterations of people who are the best and the greatest and they will tell you so. Muhammad Ali famously said, I'm the greatest thing that ever lived. One musician, who I will leave nameless for a moment, talked about his greatest pain, and this was his greatest pain. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. That is suffering. Who was that musician, that performer? He gives it to us in another quote of his where he tells us about himself. He says, you may be talented, but you're not Kanye West. <laughs> One presidential candidate who shall go unnamed 
has his own cologne that is being sold in stores. The cologne is called Success. I'll leave it up to you to figure out whose cologne that is. The Bible, on the other hand, challenges our view of success, of significance, of worth. And in our passage today, the story that's so famous, it juxtaposes two characters, an emperor and a baby. And it says, which one? Caesar Augustus was arguably the most, the greatest Roman emperor ever. He was the one who expanded the Roman Empire across the Mediterranean for the first time. He was said to have been, he's been quoted to have said, when I took over Rome, it was a city of bricks. I left it a city of marble. And in Luke 2, 1, Luke carries this story on. It says in Luke 2, 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is a man who says something, who writes something down, and the whole world has to do it. He is truly glory and power and significance the way that we tend to define it, or at least our culture does. And yet, set against that is the story of these other characters. In verses four through seven, Joseph travels with his wife Mary, his betrothed Mary, to Bethlehem, almost 100 miles away on foot, Why? To be registered, because the Caesar has said so. And there she gives birth and lays the child in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, because there was no room for them in the town. And Luke wants us to wonder, where is glory found? Who has it? When the Bible defines glory, it defines glory very differently than us, but it starts with an understanding of the term glory from a biblical sense. The term glory is a Hebrew word. It's, it goes back to the Hebrew, and it basically means weight or weightiness, something heavy, something truly significant and lasting. An immovable mover is something with glory. When the word glory is used, you're meant to think of the difference between an oil supertanker and a canoe, or an aircraft carrier and a kayak. When one enters the water, the other is moved away. That is glory. When I was a sophomore here at Madison High School, I played sort of quarterback on the football team. I was on the JV team, and I was all of 115 pounds of raw bone and skin. And I got to run the scout team offense against the varsity defense one practice. I took the ball because what was called was was an option play which basically meant for the way we ran it, I took the ball, ran down the line, and either tossed it to the running back or took it upfield myself. Well, I did the play as I was supposed to. I ran down the line, but the running back was covered, so I had to fake the pitch and turn upfield. The instant I turned upfield, I was met with glory. (laughs) Glory was in the form of Jeff Sherwood, a 175-pound senior who actually had muscle. His glory moved my insignificance to the ground very quickly. The angels sing glory to God, meaning God is truly weighty. He is significant and lasting. He is the prime mover. And we are meant to find our significance, our purpose, our glory 
in him. But instead, the Bible suggests, we seek glory on our own. We try to find significance and value on our own. Do we, though? Do we actually try to seek glory on our own? Do any of us have a glory problem? I mean, most of us don't go around tweeting things like Kanye West. We don't make claims like Ali. We don't have the worldwide significance of Caesar. So do we really have a glory problem like some of those people do? What if we think of glory and our search for glory and significance a little bit more mundanely? Here's an example. Most of us can't stand it when somebody more glorious than us enters the room. Here's what it looks like. Whatever you put your worth and value in, whether it's because you're musically talented or you're good-looking or you're intelligent or you're the funny guy, what happens when somebody enters the room who is more talented, more creative, more intelligent, has better credentials, is the one that everybody just loves? We get defensive or jealous or anxious. We're knocked off our feet by their glory and we feel very small because we have a glory problem. Let me make it more personal. Why do I get frustrated or angry when things don't go according to my plan, my timing, the rules that I've set forth, the way I've described that everything should be laid out? Why do I get frustrated and angry? Because I want to be the immovable mover. I want glory. Or, if I'm not good at something, what do I do? Maybe you do the same thing. If I'm not good at something, I'm either dismissive of it, treat it as insignificant, something that nobody should care about, or I'm self-deprecating. I just did that in a story about playing football, didn't I? The thing about being self-deprecating is it's winsome, but it's also a defense mechanism because I get to control the narrative that you have about me. I'm trying to create my own space, my own worth, my own significance. Otherwise, why is it that we are so concerned about other people's perceptions of our abilities? Why are we so concerned about being misunderstood? Glory is the answer. We want to matter we are searching for lasting significance, but we seem to look in the wrong places. The angels tell us where to look. They say, glory to God in the highest. Only God is glorious. And we are meant to find our purpose and significance in him. So how do we do that? You respond to the glory of the manger. What do the angels say? Not only glory to God in the highest, but, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It seems sort of a convoluted way of saying it, but basically this is what the angels are saying. The good news of what God has done is found in Jesus, that peace, the peace of God, meaning the healing of God, the restoration of God, God making all things right in this world and in your life is available to all, but there's a caveat. For all with whom he is pleased. Or another way to phrase that is upon whom his favor rests. How do we please God? 
How is it that we earn God's favor? The Bible is very clear about this. We cannot. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a great way to phrase it. Our sin issue is a glory problem. The root of all of our sin is a glory problem. You and I might say, well, hey, I've, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen anything. But the question is this. Do you have any other gods? We seek to be God when we try to find our significance, our purpose, and our worth in anything other than him. Where should we find it? The angels give us some more in verse 11. Here's the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What you need is a Savior. You need a Christ. You need the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. And you know the shepherds, the shepherds are probably like a sign of the Savior, of the Messiah, of the Lord. See, in that ancient world, they would tie in stories of signs being associated with, say, the birth of a Caesar. The signs associated were always these magnificent things. The sign will be unto you an earthquake, or another king far off will die, or there'll be a shooting star at the right time that everyone's going to see. What was the sign? You're going to find a peasant baby wrapped in rags, lying in a feeding trough for farm animals. What? Think about this. The manger is the beginning of God's greatest glory. His fullest weightiness and significance being revealed to us. The greatest and most glorious act of God is a peasant baby because it is the incarnation. It is God with us. And consider that for a moment. How ironic, how it turns all of our values on their head, how confounded it is that God's greatest act is being a baby who grows up to be executed like a criminal. Why? Because in the baby, in the man, in Jesus, the fullness of God, all his attributes, his goodness, and his holiness, and his justice, and his mercy, and his wisdom, and his power are most fully seen, finally realized, experienced, available to the world. God in all his fullness, God in his greatest glory is in the manger and on the cross. That's what glory is. God come to us in humility and in love. And the question that's being asked as is being written, as the book of Luke is being written, there's questions being asked and the, the answer, the question is, how are you going to respond how are you going to respond to this good news? It's implied throughout the narrative, and it calls any of us as readers, as listeners, to say, how will I respond? Are you willing to see in Jesus the Savior, 
the Christ, the Lord. Do you even think you really need one? I mean, that, it is actually hard for us. We don't go around constantly needing people to save us. I don't need somebody to pay for me. I can, I can cover it. I've got enough in the checking account right now. We don't need redeemers, and we certainly do not need a Lord in our life. I've already got one of those, and he's with me all the time, and he's very good looking, and he's got great taste. I don't need another Lord. But the good news of Christmas calls for a response, and it's a response like the shepherds. And it's so amazing that it's the shepherds that the angels come to, right? You've heard this before. A shepherd was a lowly outcast of a person, and their job was the equivalent of being a migrant day laborer, the kind of person who stands on the corner waiting for somebody to say there's a job. That kind of person is what a shepherd was. That's the ones the angels come to. And what do, the, what do the shepherds do when they hear the news? They go. They go to see the thing that, that, that's been told about them. And when they see the baby, they return, and it says in verse 20, they return glorifying and praising God. Their response is to reorient their glory Godwards, to find their significance in him, in the one in the manger. Meanwhile, back in Rome, Caesar is unmoved. You know, the question that I might ask us is, what's your goal in life? And if you read this story, our goals would align with the Caesar goals, not with the others. I mean, is your idea of success to be a pregnant teenager? A wandering construction worker? A day laborer? Or is it to be famous, powerful? influential, to have a legacy, to do something that matters. But in this story, who is closer to glory? Who knows what really matters at the end of the day? Caesar or the shepherds? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in the 30s and 40s in Nazi Germany. He opposed the Nazis. He ended up being executed, but he wrote this about Christmas and the powerful and who really gets it. He wrote, for the great and powerful of the world, there's only two places in which their courage fails them, of which they are afraid deep down in their souls, from which they shy away. These are the manger and the cross of Christ. No powerful person dares approach the manger. For this is where thrones shake, the mighty fall, the prominent perish, because God is with the lowly. Before the manger of Christ, before God and lowliness, the powerful come to naught. They have no right, no hope. They are judged. The manger, the manger is not a sweet nursery crib. It is a throne. It is a throne of grace for those who admit their need and see that they are fighting for significance and glory on their own. But it is a throne of judgment for any who seek glory by themselves. What about you? How will you respond this night and in your life? Let's pray.
God, if this is true, it should shake us. If you really are the Lord Almighty, come in human form, born in a manger, it should overturn our values and should unseat us from the throne of our own lives. Give us eyes to see and hearts that are soft and bring to us this night the glory of your son born in Bethlehem in whose name we pray. Amen. Which now the angels sing.